Hello, listeners. You are listening to the Crazy Earth Lady on Hawk Radio via Anchor.fm. As always, bringing you the latest on animal rights and welfare, environmental and conservation news. Hope you stick around for today's episode and enjoy the show. Today, I wanted to share my knowledge with you guys. Um, If you've listened to my other shows, you know that I founded my own um, pet rescue back in 2016. um, I learned a lot. Uh, There was a lot of trials and tribulations. um, And there was a lot I wish I would have known I needed right from the beginning. Um, It was definitely a learn as you go experience for me. And I'm hoping to um, prevent that for anyone who hears this and is wanting to start up their own animal rescue and uh, just make the process a lot smoother for you guys. So stick around and um, I'll tell you all about it. This is Katy Perry with Who You Love. Stop dreaming who you 
That was Katy Perry with Who You Love. You are listening to The Crazy Earth Lady on Anchor.fm, Hawk Radio. And I want to share with you guys some of the things that I've learned and what you will need to do to get started if you want to start up your own um, 5013C nonprofit animal rescue. So the very first thing that you're going to need, of course, you, well, I guess we'll, it's debatable what could be the very first thing. I was going to say the name, but um, so we'll talk about that. So just figure out what you want to call it. Uh, you're going to need to do articles of incorporation to actually become a corporation so that you can then become a nonprofit corporation. Um, and so you'll be able to check your state's website to see if the name that you want is taken or not um, when you go to um, look and see if that's been um, already incorporated. Um, so first things first, you really need, you need your board members. Um, if you don't have them yet and you know that you want to start an animal rescue, then you can start on a lot of these other things that I'm going to tell you about and figure out who your board members will be uh, slightly later. But you will need at least your four main board members um, when you file your paperwork with the IRS to become a corporation. And so before you get to that step, you will need um, you will need those members, but you can uh, work on some other things in the meantime so that you have as much done, ready, and in place uh, before you ever take your first animal in. Um, you don't want to do like I do, which literally um, I made a Facebook page. I had the name. It was Okinawa Stray Pet Rescue. I threw up the Facebook page within 24 hours. I had uh a litter of newborn kittens and I think three dogs within the first couple days. Um, and I rolled right into rescuing animals and figured everything else out as I went. And that's not how you want to do it because of course the animals have to come first and everything else um, secondary. And so you, you want to get all of this um, administrative, technical, legal stuff um, handled before you ever touch your first animal and life will be much easier for you. So I mentioned the four board members that you're going to have to have at a minimum. Um, and that's going to be your president, which there's a good chance that will be you if you're the one trying to start up this rescue, your vice president, your secretary, and your treasurer. So these are pretty common. Most people probably have heard of these roles and have a basic idea of what they do. Um, your secretary is going to be in charge of your meeting and your meeting minutes and um any administrative or clerical work that you're going to do, um, that's a good role to fall under your secretary. And your treasurer, of course, is going to handle all your finances, your accounting, your taxes, and all of that. So these four roles are definitely the more, most crucial board roles that you have. Um, and you're going to want your strongest, most dedicated people, um, and preferably someone who has, you know, a background in finance for finance. If they don't, that's okay. They can learn. You just need to make sure that they're very um, committed to the cause and not just thinking that this is going to be a couple hours a month um, commitment because it's definitely going to be more than that. Um, so you have your board members, you have your name, you're going to want a logo because you're going to, of course, want a website, social media. We're going to talk about all that later in more depth. Um, if you 
can work with graphic design on your own, that's great. You can make your own logo. If you don't have anybody that volunteers to do that for you, you're not sure how to do it yourself, um, then you can usually pay anywhere between $25, $50, $100 for a logo, um, and one can be generated for you. You just need to have an idea of what you want. Um, so you need to apply for your 5013C. This is uh, all animal shelters slash rescues are going to fall under this category. So that's the one you're going to research. That's the one you're going to want to look up and that's the one that you're going to want to apply for. So you're going to need a tax ID number, which you'll get, um, they'll give it to you when you apply. Um, we actually had a bank at one point give us a tax ID number. We just opened a bank account. They gave us that. And then we gave that to the IRS. Um, so that the 5013C paperwork is pretty cut and dry. You just, um, have to Google it. You have to apply where you're at. And of course, they're going to have a list of things that you need to include in that. Um, but if you just follow the step-by-step -step process, but this is definitely your first priority, um, when it comes to starting up a nonprofit so that you're going to have that tax exempt status, um, and you're not going to, you know, money is everything in these nonprofits and you don't want to be shelling out. Um, money on taxes that you don't need to pay because you will qualify for a nonprofit tax exempt animal rescue. Um, it is not a bad idea to have a PayPal account if you want to do that. A lot of people trust PayPal and they'll be willing to make donations and it tracks everything for you. Um, aside from, you know, what is going directly into your bank account or whatever. Um, so that's not a bad idea. It's not a must. You can get by without it, but um, it is going to be one of the easiest ways for, um, people to send donations, pay adoption fees, that kind of thing. Um, so in order to turn in that paperwork for your 5013C, you're going to have to have constitution and bylaws. Your constitution is very, um, I don't want to say generic, but it's very broad. It's your basic goal, your, your mission, um, it's not real in depth um, and it shouldn't ever change um, because it's going to be such a big broad scope of, of what your purpose is. Um, you should just want and done that and not have to worry about keeping it updated. Your bylaws, you may need to update from time to time, but again, those should be kept um, pretty basic to where these are like the um, absolutes that we know we're going to have in this rescue, the positions that you're going to have, um, you will need to put in there who holds what position so that you will have to update as it changes. Um, so, you know, whatever your adoption process is going to be, but I wouldn't get real in depth and the bylaws and all that. That's something that I would have in your handbook, which I'm going to talk about later. Um, so, uh, you will want to just put in there briefs on, um, what the members roles and responsibilities are, um, you know, how you're going to handle adoptions, fostering, if you're going to have fosters, that kind of thing. Um, now I mentioned the four main board members that you are required to have. Um, and it is up to you whether or not these next positions, you want them to be board members or you want them, um, to just be volunteers. Um, I, in my rescue, these were, uh, board members. Um, 
at least the, at the very least, the dog director, the cat director. Um, so if you're going to be dealing with primarily dogs and cats, um, maybe you'll be dealing with only dogs and cats. You're not taking in bunnies and other things like that. Um, we had one director, sometimes two, depending on the number of animals that we got, but um, one dog director, one cat director that oversees um, all of the volunteers and the coordinators under those positions. And I would um, recommend that they be board members because they're going to want, you're going to want their input and everything and them knowing what's going on in the board and all that for board meetings and things like that. So I recommend that they become board members. So that would take now your board members up to six. Um, there are other positions. Um, if you are lucky enough to have a actual veterinarian, definitely you want to put them on your board. If you have a, a vet that is going to volunteer with you, absolutely. They should be on the board. They're going to um, be able to be an extremely valuable asset for you. You may not um, be lucky enough to have an actual veterinarian, but if you, you're like us, we had several vet techs and we had one of them on the board as our um, veterinary advisor. And that is a big help um, because even though they're not a veterinarian, they can still do a lot um, for the animals and oversee treatment and things like that, that, you know, our vet tech microchipped our own animals. So we, we just bought the microchips and we microchipped them ourselves. So these are things that would be very um, beneficial if you can get a vet tech on your staff. Um, and then uh, a volunteer director and a vet director. These can be the same position, depending on how big you are, how many events you want to do. They can be two separate positions. And again, they don't have to be board members. It's up to you if you want to add them to the board. But these are definitely roles that you would want to fill um, so that you have one that if you do split them into two roles, um, because you do want to have a lot of events or things like that, then the, your volunteer director or coordinator is going to... Um, be in charge of volunteer meetings, making sure they're having re regular meetings, recruiting new volunteers, training your volunteers, making sure that the volunteers are trained, tracking their training, who's where in their training, and then your event director slash coordinator. So if they're on your board, they're going to be a director. If they're not, then, and they're just a volunteer member, then they would be a coordinator. Um, they will be in charge of setting up your events, finding new events, coordinating with um, places where you can hold events, um, you know, coming up with the ideas for the events. And then there's a lot of work that goes into sometimes even days prior to a big event. Um, so again, that can be the volunteer and the, the event director at one time. But if you have the staff to make that two different positions, it's in your best interest um, and they will have less on their plate and be able to focus solely on what their one responsibility is. Um, now, something that is not required, but I highly recommend. So um, a lot of people start out the way I did where they just kind of wing it and they never get this in depth with um, tracking things, training things. People are kind of learning things all a different way or based on whatever one person trained them. Um, this definitely comes from my background in the military. Everything is black and white. Everything is written down. Everybody is trained the same. Everything is very, very regulated. And I found that if you set your rescue up this way, you will have a very, very successful res 
rescue. So I recommend that you have a overall handbook for the rescue that is going to go into immense detail about every aspect of every procedure, everything that you do. Um, and this, again, this wouldn't be included in your bylaws um, because this is a fluid product that you want to be able to update as needed, add things to as things come up and you want to make changes. Um, so your handbook is going to lay out um, your new volunteers as you get them in. You're going to want to have a volunteer contract that says what their responsibilities are. You're going to want to have a training checklist. Um, so for example, in our rescue, um, you had to do each thing like of that run three times um, and then you would be signed off on that. So you do it with, you shadow someone three times and then you can do that on your own. So whether that's an adoption, whether that's um, a meet and greet, whether that's um, uh, taking the animals to the vet, whatever it is, three times to be shadowed and then you could do it on your own. And so you'll want a method to track that and so um, we would literally have files on all our volunteers, just like an employer would their employee, and um, we would track their training. And you're going to want to have um, foster contracts. Fosters are going to be a huge um, component of your rescue unless you have a shelter and you're not using fosters. If you don't have a facility where, you know, you have an actual shelter, most likely you're going to be foster based and your animals are going to be in foster homes. So you're going to want to have a foster contract that outlines all the rules with your animal. Um, you'd be surprised the things that you have to tell these people, but um, I mean, most fosters are wonderful, but you will get some that are doing things that you're like, whoa, what? No, um, you can't take my animal out of state without telling me you can't, you know, um, you're going to want to know, uh, do they have pets in their home? Do they have kids in their home? So that you can match up your animals appropriately and your foster contract may very well need to say you can't um, go out and get a new puppy and bring it into the home without telling us because, you know, the, the dog that you have in your home that may not be the best idea. That may not be safe. Of course, it doesn't mean they can't go to a new puppy. They just can't continue to foster that animal. Um, they may be fostering a cat and the cat may be FIV or FELV positive and they can't go out and get another cat and bring it into the home or now they're putting that new cat at risk or what have you. Um, so uh, you're just going to want to outline all the rules for, for your fosters and have that in a foster contract so that they know what they are and are not allowed to do, they know all the expectations of fostering, um, and you're going to want that in your handbook. Um, you're going to need to put in there um, what happens if you need to remove a member. You know, you get a volunteer and they're just not following protocol, or they're, you know, rude to adopters, or, you know, I've seen it all, um, then you're going to want something in there that says, okay, you know, we have a three strike rule or whatever. And then you're going to want to document those incidents and really create it. The more that you treat your nonprofit like an actual business, um, you know, a lot of people think, well, we run, we use volunteers, so we can't, you know, treat them like employees. Yes, you can. And, um, so, you know, we'll talk about ways to like 
um, incentives for them and, and all that and ways to make it fun and make sure that they know they're appreciated, but still they have to be held to standards and they have to be held accountable. Um, your pricing. So this is again, something that you would want to maybe put in your handbook and update it as it needs updated. It's not going to be something that you put in your bylaws because that is something fluid that you're going to want to be able to change. You can change your bylaws. It's just more steps and you have to refile it and all that. So anything that, that is fluid that you're going to want to review and change as needed should go in your handbook. Um, and so your pricing, um, you know, generally you're not going to be able to charge very high adoption fees for cats. You're almost always going to lose money on cats in a rescue. Um, just even if they were mostly healthy and they just got their vaccines and stuff, then maybe, okay, you'll probably be able to break even. Um, but if they've had any kind of medical issues or additional treatment or anything like that, a lot of times you're going to lose money on cats, but you can make up for it with puppies and dogs. Usually, um, the, you know, generally you're going to want to charge a little more for puppies because they require more sets of shots. People are just willing to pay more for puppies. They're in more high demand. There's going to be competition over people that want your puppies more so than your adult dogs. And then, um, in contrast to that, your seniors, a lot of times you'll need to charge a little less for them, kind of give people an incentive to adopt because not everybody is going out and looking for a senior dog. There are people who want to do that, of course, um, you know, to, to, so that dog knows a loving home and spends final days in a loving home. But, um, sometimes with your seniors, you're going to need to, um, provide discounts on those. So you're just going to adjust your pricing accordingly. And, um, you know, that is definitely something that you want to look at, um, quarterly and say, okay, where are our prices at? Do we think this is good? Do we want to increase, decrease, whatever? Um, in your adoption contract. So the adoption contract, you're going to have to decide, do you want to allow um, people to bring the animal back to you? Do you want to require them to bring them back to you um, versus you don't want these animals that you've gotten attached to and you've cared for to end up in a shelter. So you may put in your adoption contract that they cannot um, give away that animal or rehome that animal to anyone, but bringing them back to you. Um, then of course that may mean that sometimes you're full, you're at capacity. You wouldn't really be taking in any more animals, but you have to make room for the animals that are being brought back to you. Um, if you have a really good, if you're vetting people really, really well, um, your adopters really well, then you can minimize, uh, the animals that are going to be brought back to you, but you can never reduce that number down to zero. There are always going to be people who look like the perfect family and they say that they would never give up a dog and no matter what they're going to be with this dog, they're going to see it through and then they don't. So, um, you know, you're not going to be able to avoid that entirely, but if you really do diligence, um, you can keep that at a minimum. Um, so, then of course you're going to want either a database, um, something to track all your animals. There are like pet point. There are these databases that you can pay for. Um, if you're a nonprofit, you may be able to get that fee waived. Um, and you know, you can load your picture and all your vet records and everything into an animal's file in this database. So that's, um, really great. If you're going to do that, I highly recommend you do it from the beginning and you don't wait until you're bigger and you're like, Oh, you know, the spreadsheet's getting crazy. We really should switch to a database because the initial loading in of 40 
50 animals, um, even 30 animals, it's very time consuming and it's going to be hard to find that time when you're actively running a rescue. So I would just decide up front, are you going to go with um, Google Docs and a spreadsheet, which will work just fine. Um, if you're, you know, I say 100 animals or less, you should be able to pretty much do that with those as long as you're diligent and you have enough staff to um, document and annotate everything. Otherwise, if you want to go with a, a, a database, they're great. If you have somebody who already knows how to use one because they worked at a vet clinic or whatever, then you're even better off to start because they can help you learn how to use this new system. Um, so um, again, Google Drive, if you're going to go the spreadsheet route, so the spreadsheet, um, whatever you're using, if it's a spreadsheet, you'll want to put uh, the breed of the animal, of course, the name of the animal, the age, their weight, their microchip number, uh, any medical issues that they have or treatment that they receive, of course, their vaccines, when all of their vaccines are due, rabies specifically, I'll have like a separate spot uh, for their rabies vaccine. Um, and pretty much, you know, all the information you can put if the dog's on a special food, um, they have special dietary things, anything like that, um, you're going to want to put that on their spreadsheet. Google Docs um, has an app for your phone so that you can just, as you need to change something, you need to annotate something, you just pull it right up on your phone. Everybody that has access to it can change it. Um, and all of your volunteers can be actively updating uh, the documents as they need to. Same way with um, the databases, they'll have an app as well. Um, so and then, of course, their status, whether they're up for adoption, whether they're on medical hold, whether they've, um, they're in a trial period. If trial periods is something you're going to do, you're going to want a trial period contract. Um, we did do trial periods in our rescue. I believe in them. And what they are is um, ours was a two-week trial, so you get to take that animal home for two weeks and see how it's going to fit in your home. This is going to reduce the number of people that you have bringing an animal back to you because... You know, they may think that a certain dog's going to fit, but really when you meet a dog for a few minutes, you don't know how that dog or cat is going to interact when you get home. You don't know how well it's going to work out. And so we do a two-week trial, and of course, they're not adopting the animal, so you can't do an adoption contract, but you also don't want to just hand that animal over to them and not have any way or any documentation to get your animal back. So... The trial period contract that is the purpose of that and it outlaws outlines all the, the regulations that they need to follow all the rules that they need to follow and um, usually we'll have them pay a deposit on the animal um, say a hundred dollars if the and the adoption fee may be three hundred and fifty dollars they're gonna pay a hundred dollars when they take the animal for that trial period we will provide whatever supplies the foster had you know we're gonna provide um, the food and the crate and whatever. Um, for that trial period, we include on the trial period contract all of the items that they receive, and those have to come back to us either if they return the animal test and they have to um, give that stuff back, or if they adopt, then, you know, okay, you can purchase your own stuff. You're going to give us our loaner materials back. But that way they don't have to go out and they don't have to purchase um all of these things for an animal that they may not end up keeping. So that's the way we do it. Um, 
you're going to want a website, you're going to want social media. So if you don't have anybody who, um, you know, you don't know how to code and you don't know how to build a website yourself, there are sites out there such as GoDaddy, um, where they pretty much do it for you and you just add in your pictures, pick out your layout. Um, if you have the funds to hire someone to build your own custom website, it's going to be, it's going to look a lot better. It's going to be, um, a lot higher quality. It's going to have more capabilities. You know, you can, for example, um, we had ours linked to our Facebook. So as we upload new images to Facebook, they automatically upload to our website. We don't have to worry about our website not being current because we just added these new, uh, pictures to our, our Facebook, you know, it, it, it's automatic. Um, so stuff like that you can do if you have somebody who knows how to do it. And if you have it in the budget, it is worth, I think, spending that extra money to do that. Um, for your Facebook, um, you know, you're, of course, you're going to want to have Facebook. Um, the I'll talk about Facebook groups and how, you, how we use those later. But um, again, you're going to want to have that logo. And when you organize your Facebook um, so I see a lot of rescues and shelters and they just throw animals up on the timeline. And you, when you look at the page, you go to the albums, there's not really, you can't tell who's still up for adoption, who's been adopted, how many animals do they have? Like, it's just kind of whatever they've most recently posted and you're really trying to figure it out. So the way I recommend that you set up your Facebook is you have a template for each animal that says how old they are, um, what shots they've had, whatever. Um, and it is the same for every single animal. And you create an album for every animal that is up for adoption. That way, when fosters send you pictures and you want to upload more pictures to the timeline and say, look at Lucy playing, um, you put those into that dog's album and when they come to your site and they go to the albums, they can see an album for every single animal that you have for adoption. And, um, so for example, ours would say like, um, scooter ready for adoption in that would be the name of the album or, um, snow on medical hold and that's the name of the album then when you click on that album it has all the pictures there and in the album description it has that template information that i was talking about whether it's you know it's their age their medical stuff what they've had if they've been spayed if they whatever um and then of course a little bit about their personality like great with kids blah 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 whatever um so when you do that and then, you know, you're just, you, you're diligent about as an animal becomes adopted, you take that animal's album down and then we have a happy tales album. So then you get a picture of the animal with the adopters. You put that animal in your happy tales album. And then this shows you, you know, you can keep track of not that this is how you would track your adoptions, but you can quickly see, Oh, look, we've adopted 500 animals this year. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and, uh, you know, sadly, we have an angels album. When we lose animals, it's a rescue. You're going to have sick animals. You're going to have animals that you can't save. Um, you're going to get animals with parvo. These things are going to happen. Um, then, you know, we can play tribute to them in that album. And then um, our other albums are if we have a, a, a particular event, 
I don't like anything to just be thrown onto the timeline and, and clutter that up. So if, if it's an event, then we'll make an album for that event. If it's, um, you know, whatever it is, just keep your Facebook page organized so that if somebody comes to your page and they want to know who they can adopt and who's available, it is very easy for them to see. Um, all right. So, um, Insurance is something important that I haven't touched on yet. You're going to need liability insurance. It's going to be expensive. Um, I just advise you to shop around, get the best coverage that you can. Um, you are not, you're going to have expenses in a rescue. We're going to talk about fundraising and all that um, later. And I will try and help you, um, you know, work through some of those things. Um, I recommend you guys put together a, well, I'll, I'll tell you about that during events. Um, so yeah, when I started my rescue for the first, oh, definitely three months solid, but really into like the, the six month range, I was a hundred percent covering expenses for the rescue. And I did put in about $20,000 to get this started. Now, again, I chose the just start taking in animals and not have really a team and not have fundraising and all of that. So there are ways to avoid this. But starting a rescue is going to cost money. And until you have volunteers and until you have um, a following where people are donating, you're going to need that money to come from somewhere, especially if you're taking in animals. So we're going to talk about that more later in future segments. Um going to try and squeeze as much information in as I can for you guys. This is, we're going to take a quick music break. This is Sugar, We're Going Down Swinging.
Sugar, we're going down swinging. You are listening to the Crazy Earth Lady on Hawk Radio via Anchor.fm. And today I'm telling you guys all about how to start your own animal rescue, your own 501c3 nonprofit animal rescue. Uh, and I want to talk about the actual animal care and the tracking of all that. So this is obviously going to be after your initial costs of marketing materials and things like that, you'll still have some marketing expenses on down the road, but once you're, um, hopefully those things will start to pay for themselves. So your biggest expense is going to be, of course, the care for your animals and the bulk of that's going to be your veterinary bills and food. So if you can find a vet that will work with you, that'll give you discounts. Sometimes if you say, you know, um, we have, you know, we take in 30 animals a month. We're going to solely use you as our, as our vet. Then, um, you can work out a relationship with that vet and they will provide you discounts. Um, especially once you have that nonprofit, then they can also probably write some of that off as, you know, deductions on their end. So, um, so I, I recommend you try and do that. Um, again, if you have a good relationship with a vet, then um, you may be able to um, buy certain things in bulk. If you can't do it through your vet, then uh, like 1-800-PET-MEDS, things like that, um, you can buy like your dewormer and um, flea and tick meds and things like that in bulk and you can save money. Uh, certain things are going to need a prescription. So you're going to need that vet to write that for you, like your heartworm preventatives, things like that. Um, if you do plan on having your own facility at any point, um, having an actual shelter, then you're going to need a specific vet that's going to sign off on your the, the care that you're providing your animals within your facility. So that is going to be a requirement. Um, if you don't really find a vet that's working with you, then in the beginning you may, until you establish a good relationship with a vet, you may go to this vet for your vaccines and this vet for spay and neuters and this vet, and that's okay. You just need to have it outlined. Your staff need, needs to know who they're going to for, for what. You know, this is the emergency vet. This is where we do our spay and neuters. They're going to need to know that. You're going to need to be able to communicate that. Um, everything needs to be in writing in that handbook that we talked about in something that's accessible to everybody where they can quickly reference it and everybody's getting the same information. So this is a good time to talk about 
how many animals you should take into your rescue. You need to have a limit. You need to know what the limit is. You, if it's going to be, you know, when you first start out, it may be 20 dogs, 20 cats, and that's fine. It may be 10 dogs, 10 cats when you first start out. Um, you are only going to want, let's say that your limit is 20 dogs. You're going to want no more than five of those, really ideally three, to be seniors. Your seniors are just not going to get adopted. So you may have room for puppies and you may have room for adult dogs, but you may not have room for senior dogs. You may not be able to take in any more seniors. So these are just things that you need to think about. You are going to, ideally you're going to want one staff member per every 10 no more than 20 animals and that's dedicated staff member to that so i'm not talking about your president or your treasurer or somebody who has these other responsibilities i'm talking about if you have one dog coordinator that's going to see and of course they're going to need volunteers i'm just talking about um directors that can oversee everything you're not going to want them to have more than 20 at the absolute most animals that they're responsible for if you can keep that down to five or I mean 10, then that's even better. If you have volunteers under them, then, then your goal should be like each volunteer has five animals that they're responsible for. Um, and then you have, you know, the, the director that oversees all of them. So the more volunteers you have, the bigger that number can get. But if you're really just working with one person who's in charge of your dogs, I would say, no more than 20, same thing on the cat side. Um, so that number may fluctuate. That's something you're gonna wanna readdress every, like quarterly because if you lose volunteers, if you get more volunteers, then your numbers overall can adjust. But you definitely want to have a max, you know, okay, this is when we're full and it's hard and it sucks to not be able to take in more animals, but you cannot overburden your rescue. You cannot overextend your finances um, or your rescue will start to fall apart and your reputation will decline and everything will go to hell in a handbasket very quickly. Um, so fosters are another big thing that may affect your numbers. If you don't have enough fosters and you don't have a foster to take in that new animal, obviously you can't take in that animal. So you're going to need fosters, you're going to need good fosters. This is where Facebook group comes into play and it's really, really useful and beneficial. Um, we have, for example, a dog foster page group and a, and a cat foster group. And anybody who's interested in becoming a foster, they fill out an application so that we have all that preliminary information that I talked about earlier. You know, if they have kids in the home, if they have allergies, if they have other pets, all of that. And what kind of animal they're interested in adopting or fostering. Do they want to foster dogs, cats? Do they want to only foster, like some people will say, no puppies because they only want it house trained dogs. So, um, they'll fill out that application, you add them to your group and then, you know, you just clean up your groups every so often to make sure that the people in there are active. Um, and this, then you, anytime you have a new animal that comes in, you put post in the group, Hey, we need a foster for this animal. Um, so the Facebook groups are very, very useful for that. Um, 
the way that we handled our fosters was that we would supply everything that that foster needed. We bought the food. We supplied dog crates, litter boxes, cat litter, anything that that animal needed. That expense was not on the foster. Now, there would be some fosters that would be like, I'll cover it. I'll buy the food. I'll buy this. And you just want to make sure that they're buying the same food that you would be supplying so that if, you know, someone, they stop fostering and you only carry IAM's dog food now, you're switching that dog's food. That's something you don't really want to do. So you just need to make sure that if they're going to buy them, their own stuff that they're, you know, keeping in line with what you would be supplying. Um, and then that's just kind of like a donation on the foster's part. Um, you can log that information, give them donation receipts if you want to do that. Um, but for, you know, the average foster that came in, they would always know we cover hundred percent of expenses, not just the vet bills and things like that, but also every, everything that that animal is going to need. Um, the vet records. So you're going to want to have a, both a physical copy and a digital copy of all of your animals, vet records. You're going to want a file folder, just like the vet would keep at the, vet's office and so you're going to want to like a six-part folder or a three-part folder with prongs so that you can keep your information on each animal um, neat and orderly so this is going to be another expense that you're going to have um, it's something that you could factor into the adoption price if you wanted it's really not going to be much per animal but as you buy like cases of these things you know that is an expense um, the reason I say have a physical and a digital file is because um, you want some, you obviously want somewhere to put all the um, actual vaccination certificates, um, the stickers, things like that, that they're going to need to require proof. You're going to want those physical copies. And when you adopt that animal, all of that is going to be given to the adopter. However, you don't want to no longer have that information anymore. So that is why you're going to also keep it on a digital copy. You're going to scan it in and you're going to have a digital folder on that animal as well. And you're going to keep that pretty much forever. So if that animal ever comes back to you, and of course you're going to adopt all your animals out microchipped, they should come at a minimum spayed, and neutered, spayed or neutered with all of their vaccines that they require up to that point. And um, a microchip at a minimum and, and the rabies vaccine. So at a minimum, those are the things that you should be not adopting an animal out until they have. Um, and so since your animals are already going to be microchipped, if that animal ever comes back to you, now you can just search that microchip number and you have their vet records still, you know what their veterinary history was, you know, if that animal was adopted out and it was heartworm negative, and it comes back to you and it's heartworm positive, now you know that that's on the adopter. Um, and you, that is something that you're gonna wanna put in your adoption contract. If they have to bring that animal back to you, if you're gonna charge them an intake fee to re-intake that animal, and if they're gonna be responsible for any medical treatment or you know if they did get heartworms or they had fleas or whatever because of, because of them not following the care, that you put in the adoption contract saying that they had to keep them on flea and tick preventatives, that they had to keep them on heartworm medication. So that's all stuff that you want to think about and put into these contracts to help you legally and financially um, down the road. Um, all right. So when you take your animals to the vet, okay, you're going to have 
probably different people taking these animals to the vet for their shots for whatever. Um, and you need to have a clear procedure for going to the vet. And every vet visit needs to be logged immediately after that vet visit takes place. So if you have, if you take one animal to the vet, it's not that hard. It's not that, you know, you might be able to remember everything. Still don't rely on that because often you're going to be taking two, three, four, five animals to the vet at a time. And because it's easier to do it that way to take, you know, you've got five puppies that are due for vaccines. You take them all at one time, not just one. Um, and so you're going to want that person literally taking notes within the vet visit because you're going to think you can remember who got what and then you're going to forget something. So at, at a minimum, they should be logging the weight of the animal, the temperature of the animal, you know, the vitals that the vet is always going to do. Um, and then what every animal is there for and what they actually receive. They may have went in to get a vaccine that day and but they had a temperature and so the vet wasn't comfortable giving that dog the vaccine and so you need to take notes like they came in for a vaccine but they didn't get it because otherwise everybody's just going to assume that dog went in for the vaccine and got the vaccine um so this all needs to be logged immediately afterwards with the date and time of the vet visit all the animals that attended and everything that was taken and then that needs to also of course be put into that animal specific record so you're going to want to update that animal specific record but i like having um a date log basically of the vet visit the coordinator who took the animals to the vet um the time that they checked in the time that they checked out so you can quickly catalog everything and go back and reference well i thought so and so went to the vet on such and such day and they got the shot and then you go back and you look and you're oh no they didn't um or whatever um and then medication, you need to have um, a system for getting the medication to the fosters and tracking the medication that's given and when are they coming due for meds and when are they out of meds and, you know, when do they need to switch from this med to that med or increase the dose. So that's all stuff that you need to be tracking. If you are just tuning in, you're listening to the Crazy Earth Lady on Hawk Radio via Anchor.fm, and we're talking about animal rescues, specifically starting up your own animal rescue and um, being a legitimate 5013C corporation. I want to talk to you guys real quick. Uh, I could have split this up into two or three different episodes, so um, I'm running out of time, but I want to try and get through the information that I wanted to give you guys. So we're going to talk real quick about events. Um, there are many different type of events and my um my recommendation would be to try and hold one major adoption event per month and at least one other smaller event whether it be a fundraising event or what have you so you're looking at a large and a small event every month in addition to your monthly you're going to want to have a monthly board meeting and a monthly volunteer meeting board meetings you want to you may need to have if there's a lot going on, if it's um, holiday season, if you have a lot of events coming up or a major event coming up, you may want to have board meetings weekly, but at least once a month, you're going to want to have a board meeting. At both your board meeting and your volunteer meetings, you're going to want to have um, your secretary or someone in place of your secretary, if they can't attend for whatever reason, um, taking meeting minutes 
um, and you're going to want to always file all your meeting minutes that says everything that was discussed. Um, just you can, if you've never done meeting minutes before, you can Google a template on meeting minutes and you can um, figure out how they're supposed to be set up. You always want to include who's in attendance, who was not in attendance. Um, I require my volunteers to be at, um, well, I require my board members to be at every meeting. Volunteer members, you want to make sure that they're coming to at least every other volunteer meeting or something like that to stay up to the date and make sure that you have current and past volunteers there to meet the new volunteers that are coming in. So your volunteer meetings are going to be public events that you're inviting anyone who is interested in volunteering in addition to having your volunteers that are there that you need to get out information, not just to your board members, but to everyone who volunteers with you. Um, and you can usually set it up like you do the new volunteers first and then you let them go and then you keep your other volunteers to stay so that you don't necessarily have to discuss all these issues within the rescue with people that are brand new and not really part of your rescue yet. Uh, so your main events that you're going to do are going to be your adoption events. You can find places like PetSmart or other businesses that would be willing to let you come in. And it doesn't even have to be a pet store. Like some, you may just have a business that really wants to support, you know, pet adoption and they would let you bring your animals in. And I mean, we've set up um, adoption events at flea markets and thrift stores and all different kinds of places. Um, and you can get on board with other people's events. Um, if there's a big outdoor event, you say, hey, can we have, you know, a couple tables and 10 kennels and bring our animals and you want to have a book that has all of your animals because every event you have you're not going to be able to take all 40 of your dogs or however many you have and so um you know you'll want to have your dog book and your cat book and it's got a bio with pictures of every single animal that you have for adoption um so that they can look through that um if there's an animal that you know, they're looking for the, the ones that you have there aren't necessarily the ones that would fit or that they're interested in. They can see every animal that you have for adoption. We also would like to set up like a laptop or a tablet so that they could see the Facebook page and all of that as well. Um, so those are your primary events. You should aim to have one at least every month, if not at the bare minimum every other month. Um, because a lot of times these events are going to be what really spawn, you know, adoptions and people, they may not adopt that day, but they may, you know, bring their friends they, you're going to get people that didn't even know about your rescue and they're going to find out about it this way. So they're really good. You can have just more simple events where, um, you set up outside a Walmart with a shopping cart and you pass out. Um, a wish list to people that are walking in. Of course, you got to get the business's approval, but you say, this is our wish list and it's got the food and the um, supplies that you're needing, um, anything that you're running low on. And you want to be very specific. Don't just say dog food because you don't want them to bring you back Alpo or kibbles and bits. Some like you want, you know, say, this is our brand of food. This is the brand of litter. Like make sure that you're very specific in what you're asking for puppy pads, whatever. Um, and we would do this and we would have two or three or four shopping carts full after just a couple of hours being out in front of a store. Um, so it's a great way to get supplies, especially around the holidays when people are, you know, in a giving mood and it's Christmas time or whatever, and they want to, um, 
they want to help, but you can really do this all year. Um, vendor events are a lot of fun. They're a great way to make money. Um, if you can do them outdoors, then a lot of times you can have the dogs or cats there. Um, otherwise it may just be a vendor event, but you know, I always like to do them outdoors, have a snow cone machine and hot dogs and be selling some food. And, um, you basically have vendors that come in, whether it's, um, you know, a lot of these are going to be, um, like your direct sales, like your Scentsy and your Pampered Chef and stuff like that. They'll come in, they'll buy a table. So you can either charge, um, 15 to $30 per table, or you can charge just, um, they have to bring a gift basket valued at, you know, $25 or whatever for their, their table fee. Or sometimes you can do, if it's going to be a big vendor event and they're probably going to get a lot of business, then you can charge a small table fee and tell them that they need to bring a raffle item. Um, so these events, you just want to make them really fun. You want to have, um, like I said, you want to sell food, you want to have music, you want to have entertainment, you want to have, you know, as many different things as you can so that people just want to come and they just want to hang out and they want to stay and they want to play with their dogs and play Frisbee or do whatever. And hopefully also adopt some animals, make some donations, buy some merchandise. Um, you can do yard sales. Um, so you get, you know, people that just, uh, you have all your volunteers clean out their house, do their spring cleaning, um, give you stuff for a yard sale and you put on a mass yard sale and all that money just goes straight into the rescue. Um, you know, you can get really creative with it. Do, um, five K's and runs and walks and in the holidays, there's tons of different ideas you can do. Um, and one little added special thing that I like to put in to, um, my rescue is, um, kind of a morale thing. We would have a morale event like once a quarter, um, where all the volunteers went to, um, an all inclusive resort for the day. And of course this is your, you have to be doing well financially to be able to do this. It does cost a little bit of money, but usually just a couple hundred dollars or something like that. Um, and then I would have, um, like, uh, like, like I said, I really treated it like a business. So we would have like a company Christmas party at the end of the year, for example. And that would be, um, you know, we'd have a full blown holiday party, rent it out with food, catering. You can do more of a potluck kind of thing, depending on your budget. And we would give out annual and quarterly awards to, our volunteer of the year, our foster of the year. Um, and it's just something really nice to give back to the people that are putting their blood, sweat and tears into these animals every day, volunteering their time. Um, it's just a really nice thing to give back. So it's something that I always strive to do within my rescue. And it's a really neat added touch um, that's, that people just really appreciate and enjoy. Um, so, like just to touch on some other things that, um, I haven't told you guys yet. Um, your, your handbook that I talked about is super important. I really strongly recommend you have one and that you update it annually, at least, um, maybe every six months, but annually, as long as you're making updates to the individual forms and things as they go, then you just 
like put out a whole new handbook for that year. Everybody who comes in to volunteer with you, your fosters, they all get a copy of that digital handbook. Um, and it will just make everything streamlined so much better. Um, another incentive that you can do for your volunteers and your fosters is to offer adoption discounts. So definitely for fosters, um, I think this is appropriate because anytime that a foster wants to adopt an animal that they've been fostering for a month or three months, however long it might be, that is one less household change and stress adaptation period that that animal needs to go through. So anytime your foster wants to foster fail and they want to adopt that animal, that's great for both you and the animal. Um, so generally we would oft offer discounts and then we'd also offer discounts to our, our, our volunteers, our staff. Um, and that's just another way to give back for them. If they do, we did gas cards. Um, so as long as they were tracking, tracking their mileage, if they were doing a lot of vet visits and they were doing a lot of, um, adoptions and meet and greets and things like that, then, um, they would, you know, we'd give them gas cards, just any little thing that you could do to, to give back. But again, this all, it all kind of goes hand in hand. It's like, you may think we don't have the money or the time to put on events, but putting on events is what's going to generate those, um, donations for you and give you this extra room in your budget so that it's not just, we're paying the vet bills and that's all we've got. Um, so it really is the whole big picture. You want to focus on everything um, while still, of course, having priorities. Um, so there's just uh, a lot that goes into it. Um, I have a lot of these forms already um, created and they could just be tailored to whatever new rescue. So I always welcome people to reach out to me um, if they need help getting started or they, they don't know where to start in these forms. And, you know, you just take basically the form and you, you change whatever little, like, ah, I don't really want to do it that way. Or I want to do it this way. You tailor it to you. You put your logo on it instead of Okinawa Stray Pet Rescue on it. And, um, you know, I'm always willing to do that for people because this is, a you know, a common effort. This is a, a team effort amongst rescuers everywhere. Um, so I hope you guys learned a lot today. Um, I hope you enjoyed tuning in and, um, I really appreciate you guys stopping to listening. You are listening to the crazy earth lady on Hawk radio via anchor.fm and we will see you next week.